Hello everyone and a warm welcome to Ben Squared, uh, an almost popular Invesco podcast seeking to share insights on the major market events in just 10 minutes. I'm Ben Gutteridge, uh, resident host and director of Model Portfolios, uh, and I'm joined by our resident expert guest, Ben Jones, our director of macro research. Ben, good to speak to you. How are you doing and did you manage to survive the heat wave? I have managed to survive the heat wave, Ben. Thank you very much. I'm, but I am sitting in a nice air-conditioned um, London office at the moment, which is uh, is rather pleasant and certainly a bit of a, a welcome break from the, the heat of the weekend. And how about yourself? Well, I, I I just about got through it, but then I don't have an infinity pool like yourself to to cushion the blow. Uh, but uh, on to today's discussion. Of course, you don't, Ben. We, people at Invesco don't have such vulgarities as that. But uh, on to today's discussion, and uh, the plan is to reflect on some. G20 news flow before pivoting to Japan, uh, then returning to the dominant stories of dollar and uh, inflation. So lots to get through. But before we hear from Ben uh, on what all of that, uh, on his take on all of that, but also what it might mean for investments, I want to share with the audience that this recording is intended for UK professional investors only, should not be considered as investment advice, and that any capital invested is always capital at risk. Uh, we would also ask uh, the audience to please hang on after the conversation is concluded to hear some additional important disclaimers. Right, okay, Ben, as I said, let's kick off with the G20. Now, I'm, I'm sort of loath to talk about this, to be honest. I mean, we are attempting here to be an investment programme rather than, rather than sort of a current affairs show. Um, so what have you got for me? Have you got something relevant for us? Um, I think I have been. I mean, you're right to raise that point. I mean, you can look at some of these summits as being a little bit of a um, kind of either non-entity or, or certainly sort of a marker in geopolitics, but perhaps less of a, a market-moving uh, type of event. But I think there were a couple of things that happened um, at the G20 um, this weekend that are worth raising, um, really because of what they signal for markets going forward and, and certainly geopolitical relations too as well. Um, so G20 summit this weekend held in India, um, and it went pretty well. They managed to agree on their joint communique on the first day. That was certainly a bit of a surprise. Um, and the thing that I want to highlight really is that this really is a bit of a signal that India and Modi are able to sort of tread this really careful path um, at the moment in this rather fragile and uncertain geopolitical backdrop. Um, and I think really reap the benefits from the world that we are living in. Uh, and I say that in terms of uh, Modi being this sort of statesman that seems to be able to bring some people together, um, get deals done, um, and hopefully sort of lead to a thaw in some of the, the geopolitical tensions that we've got out there. India also has been able to benefit um, rather nicely from cheaper oil over um, recent months uh, because it's importing oil um, from Russia. Um, but more broadly and more sort of bigger picture from a market uh, perspective, um, obviously we know that Indian equities have done really, really well um, this year. And I think part of that is this idea that um, Modi is embarking on these big infrastructure projects, these big reform programs as well. Um, and the other big tailwind that India has got is much, much better demographics than much of the rest of the world. Um, so I'm sort of sitting here thinking that in maybe 10 years time, we look back on India and say, look, this was India's decade. This was the, the decade where India managed to really establish its place um, in the world. Uh, and perhaps we look back on India in the same way that we look back a little bit on the way on China over the last um, 10 years or so. You've also got to think, and this is the final thing I'll say on this particular point, is that if those infrastructure um, spending plans are really do continue, 
then that does have big implications for the commodity complex as well. So lots of people that are saying, well, China's growth story is over, China's weakening, that's going to be really detrimental for the commodity complex. Well, maybe we see that India is that country that takes over from um, China, and we see some quite strong demand for commodities in that environment. Obviously, that'll kick into the longer-term inflation dynamics further down the line as well, which we can certainly get into. Okay, I'll let you have that one, Ben. I think there probably okay. is enough relevance in that to, yep. uh, to, to, to talk about it. And you said, yeah, we'll come back to the subject of commodities and inflation shortly. Uh, but let's, uh, as I said, pivot to Japan now. And I thought I saw some news at the tail of last week about growth downgrades and uh, wages sort of falling short of expectations. Um, I'm not totally dialed into Japan news flow day to day, but I thought all of that would sort of continue to weigh on the sort of absence of inflation narrative and uh, prevent them from raising interest rates anytime soon and perpetuate uh, yen weakness. Are, are you mm-hmm. seeing things any differently, Ben? Have you seen other data that uh, you'd alert the audience to? Look, I mean, the data that you highlight there is is obviously factually very accurate. Um, I think, um, like a lot of places in the world at the moment, there are mixed data signals that we're getting, which is what's making the the macro environment quite challenging to analyse and and it's quite challenging to invest in, but also is throwing up a lot of opportunities. Now, what I would say with Japan is, although some of the data at the end of last week on wages, for example, were perhaps a little bit softer than than previous um, readings, perhaps a little bit softer than expectations. Um, It still is a very, very marked difference from where we have been over the recent um, couple of decades or so. Um, So wages are still um, growing in this um, this environment. Um, But really the big piece of news flow um, that has moved markets this morning, and we're recording this at about quarter past 10 on Monday morning, is the comments from Bank of Japan Governor Ueda, who essentially has said that the the data that they're monitoring at the moment um, is potentially enough by the end of the year to um, mean that they're going to continue to pivot away from this ultra easy stimulus and essentially to um, raise uh, rates. Um, So there's been a big rate move in Japan um, this morning. Um, Ten-year yields now at about 0.7%. I mean, 0.7%, crikey, for those of us in in Europe or the US, that's uh, a million miles away from where we are in those markets. But the direction of travel is um, is upward. Uh, And I think we have to remember that the Bank of Japan obviously is behind a lot of other markets, uh, other central banks at the moment. So if this is the direction of travel, then perhaps there is that little bit of catch-up, and that's why you can get the yen strengthening. Um, in that environment. So we've seen the yen strengthen by about 1% this morning against the dollar. Um, in fact, there's been a broad dollar um, sell-off um, this, this morning, which has shifted the uh, the trend that we've seen over recent weeks. I know you want to get into that in, in a second. Um, but if we look more broadly against Japan as well, I mean, the uh, the equity um, dynamics are, are pretty attractive right now. Um, certainly a value market um, at the moment. Um, people are looking at this market much more positively. The, the consumer strength albeit the data you saw last week, a touch weaker, is generally um, pretty strong. Japanese consumers um, still have a lot of cash savings. Uh, but more importantly, they're also spending those, those cash savings uh, as well now, unlike what they're doing um, in Europe. Um, so one of the dynamics that we've observed as well is very strong portfolio flows into Japanese equities over recent, um, recent weeks 
stronger really than we've seen in the last two decades or so. Now, depending on the hedging characteristics um, of those flows, again, that should be um, yen um, positive. Um, the pushback potentially will be, well, where is positioning um, on the yen? And actually, I'd say the positioning is relatively neutral. So we can look at this across a broad range of uh, spectrum, um, but it's not as if the investors are already um, ultra long positioning. So I think there's still room for those positions to build up and for the yen to strengthen over the uh, the back end of uh, of this year. Okay, well, that's certainly a trade we'll keep uh, keep an eye on. Thanks for that, Ben. And uh, staying on currencies, of course, the dominant currency, the greenback, the dollar. Uh, mm-hmm. It's been, I think, sort of over the school holidays, really. It's been a pretty strong currency. Uh, is is that sort of something you consider would could persist? Very difficult to call the dollar, I know. But have you seen anything that might reverse those trends? Um, at the moment, I think we're still in for some more strength in the dollar. What I would say, again, this morning, Monday morning, as we record this, um, looking at some of the uh, the Bloomberg stories and things like that, there are some people out there that are saying this is the turning point and getting quite um, strongly convicted behind that. Um, I'm not one of those people. Um, I think there's probably some still some strength in the dollar, not necessarily against the yen, but against um, the euro and, and other currencies, because the dollar, sorry, the US is still the place where um, growth is stronger. Uh, I mean, if we look at Germany, for example, technically in recession, same with places like Switzerland, Sweden growth uh, pretty weak um, as well. So if we think about the dollar in terms of the dollar smile, um, it's still got the, um, the growth dynamics to keep the dollar on the, the front foot. Now, um, I think the risk is um, that we then move to growth weakening more broadly. Um, across the rest of the world and including the US. And if US growth weakens, then um, sentiment can shift such we get that risk on move. And then what you get is the jump in the dollar to the other side of the smile and the dollar benefits from those risk off flows. The point at which the dollar does better um, is when the rest of the world starts to improve and US growth deteriorates. So you've got to see China growth strengthening. You've got to see European growth strengthening um, in that environment. And that's just not something that at the moment I would attribute quite a strong probability um, to. Um, again, look at recent data, for example, ISM services last week from the US coming out at 54 and a half. So again, uh, above 50, that's a positive. Uh, we can't say the same thing for, for other parts of the world. Um, now, again, like I talked about on the end, the pushback on, on the dollar might be, well, positioning has got extreme. It's a crowded, um, overweight trade, given the move that we've seen over the last eight weeks, as you as you highlighted. Um, the measures that I look at across the dollar positioning suggest that there is a little bit of an overweight position there, but it's not a massively crowded um, position at the moment. So there's still room for those positions to be built. Um, but and equally, if people do decide to unwind any of those positions, it's not like it's this massive crowd crowded position where you can get this sort of big flood of money coming out of that trade and lead to a to a downward trend in the dollar. So for me, I think the dollar's still got room to move higher. Um, is it necessarily against the yen? I don't think so. Actually, I think the yen can move higher in, in this current environment. Um, but I think against some of the other crosses like um, euro, like sterling, like um, CNH, for example, um, that's where I can see some dollar strength continuing into year end. Okay. Uh, of course, something as we close, Something else that clearly could drive the, uh, the dollar in either direction would be uh, inflation prints and outlying uh, outsized inflation prints. We've got CPI coming up this week. What are we expecting? What are markets expecting? 
Uh, so markets are firmly expecting that headline CPI will be higher, um, quite significantly higher than it was um, last uh, month. Again, there's some base effects that, that creep into, into that. Um, but also oil prices are going to um, creep into that as well. So we know that oil prices have been moving higher over um, recent uh, months. Obviously, then gasoline prices have been moving higher um, as a consequence. Um, I think it was really interesting, if you'll allow me to go back to our first point on the G20, that um, President Biden and Hamid bin Salman of Saudi Arabia um, embraced a, a very strong um, handshake. I mean, that's a real pivotal shift from where um, their relations were three years ago when uh, President Biden um, took office and he refused to even speak to Mohammed bin Salman. Um, why do I think that's happened? Well, ultimately, it's oil, and um, he wants oil um, supply to increase. That will bring oil prices down. Interestingly, as well, last week we had OPEC Plus extending production cuts into the end of this year. Um, again, very much um, Saudi and, and OPEC wanting oil prices higher. So there's a real push and pull dynamics there. My bias would be to say that oil prices are likely to stay elevated and potentially climb into the end of this year. And that's going to put upward pressure on headline inflation. That's not necessarily going to be that much of a surprise. Um, at the same time, though, what you have got on the good news on inflation is that um, core inflation, I think, will continue to move lower. And that's certainly the expectation in the consensus um, for this week. Um, a large part of that is on shelter in prices, shelter prices moving lower. We're seeing that in the um, in some of the real term data from um, uh, Zillow and, and the like. Um, but on the on the headline and say that's going to come in higher. And certainly, if we look at some of the the real time measures on that, you look at um, Trueflation, for example, which is a, um, an alternative measure that is is publicly available, or the the Cleveland Fed Nowcast data, for example. Again, both of those pointing to to headline inflation moving higher. So, look, I don't think we're out of the woods on the inflation story yet. Uh, and if those trends continue. I do think that the, the rate expectations for um, 2024, where the Fed is expected to cut rates um, relatively significantly, I think those are going to have to be adjusted quite um, quite a lot. And if that happens, again, that's something that is potentially going to, to lift the dollar um, from here. But, but some mixed data is going to be a really interesting um, back end of 2023, I think. OK, great stuff, Ben, as always. Lots of detail. I really appreciate that. So we better wrap it up there. Uh, but we'll certainly come back to those stories in future podcasts. Uh, as usual, uh, we'll be back in a fortnight. But uh, do reach out to either of us on LinkedIn or, or Ben Jones on Twitter if you want to chat about anything before then. Or please just get in touch with your Investco Relationship Manager. But before you do leave us, uh, please listen to the following investment risks and information. Uh, the value of investments and any income will fluctuate. This may partly be the result of exchange rate fluctuations and investors may not get back the full amount invested. Uh, this podcast is intended for UK professional clients only and is not for consumer use. Views and opinions are based on current market conditions and are subject to change. This is marketing material and not financial advice. It is not intended as a recommendation to buy or sell any particular asset class, security or strategy. Regulatory requirements that require impartiality of investment or investment strategy recommendations are therefore not applicable, nor are any prohibitions to trade before publication issued by Invesco Asset Management Limited, authorised and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority.